0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again as we turn to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 15. We're looking at verses 8 and 9 this morning, talking about our sacrifices, our sacrifices in fellowship and our sacrifices out of fellowship. The sacrifices of believers, the sacrifices of unbelievers, sacrifices that are paralleled with a way of life. We want to recognize that uh, what we do in our priesthood is not just uh, an event, not just a thing, not just an occasion. We don't come to church on Sunday to worship. Worship is a way of life. Sacrifices are a way of life. And uh, we should be a living and holy sacrifice all day, every day. In uh, in what we're doing, and this is uh, this is what we're looking at here this morning. So, verse eight says, "The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is His delight." The way of the wicked—that is, the course of life, the lifestyle, the life course—the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but He who love, but He loves one who pursues righteousness. And so your way is your pursuit, your way of life, the course of your life is your pursuit. Or sometimes we think of it as a race, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. So a lot to cover, let's get started with a word of prayer, asking our Father to bless our time together, shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the truth of Your Word and for the blessing we have to assemble together. We call upon Your faithfulness, Father, to open our eyes, to open our ears, to soften our hearts. Father, uh, minister Your Word to our benefit this morning. We thank You, Father, and we praise You in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, and so we are contrasting, and this is point eight in the outline, the contrast of wicked and upright is poetically expressed in terms of life course worship. What I'm calling life course worship. And the life course is your way or your pursuit. What is it that you're chasing? Okay? Sometimes it feels like you're chasing uh, your dog chasing its own tail or something. <laughs> you're just going around in circles. But we're chasing something we're either chasing the Lord or we're chasing ourselves or we're chasing the latest uh, shiny bauble that the, the, the devil dangles in front of us. Um, you know, uh, you can use, a, use the little uh, laser pointer and uh, run it on the floor and your cat will chase it for hours, okay? Uh, there's, there's lots of things that you can chase. <laughs> and Satan, Satan will put that red dot on the wall and get us going. We've got to stop looking at that. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and run with endurance the race that's set before us. That's our admonition in the book of Hebrews. So a lot of what we're going to deal with this morning uh, has parallel in the book of Hebrews, as you might expect, because of uh, the terms for sacrifice and way and uh, pursuit and the things that we're looking at here. Um, So the contrast. The parallels are sacrifice and prayer on the one hand and way pursuit on the other hand. And we want to recognize how these work. And it might be useful too if we uh, remind ourselves of the nature of Hebrew poetry, that it's uh, conceptual, that there are concepts that are put in parallel, and uh, they are done as contrasts. They're done as comparisons. They're done in a in a in a building format, and and we want to make sure that we that we're connecting the. Uh, we're, we're crossing the t's and we're dotting the i's and we're connecting the full understanding of the parallel so that we don't miss some of the points that would otherwise uh, be obvious to a hebrew speaker and uh, they would be lost to us today so when we look at verse 8 and verse 9 let's let's go ahead and be redundant with it again and again and again so that we see we see how it works the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the lord so that's the a part of verse eight, that's eight a, and then in the b part, the prayer of the upright is his delight. So there's the b part. Now in the parallel, we want to we want to understand that that uh, that we can crisscross these concepts, and maybe just drawing them out will be helpful as well. So let's do that. I haven't used this as much as I need to. So when we do the crisscross. We have um, in in 8A, oh, that's too big, smaller, 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 how do I make it smaller? Too small, here we go. Okay, so in 8A, that's better. There's an eraser even, look at that. All right. Uh, so we have sacrifice, right? Sacrifice of the wicked. Then in the B part, we've got prayer upright. Now, in, uh, do the crisscross with this, all right? Because the sacrifice, we have the, the, an application towards the wicked, of course, but we also have an application towards the upright. Same thing with prayer. There's the prayer of the upright, but there's also prayer of the wicked because of the way these are being used in parallel. Sacrifice is parallel to prayer. When we're talking about sacrifice, we're talking about prayer as the primary sacrifice. And so we can crisscross these. It's like we do the same thing when we talk about, you know, a son who is a, a delight to his father and, a, and a, a blessing to his mother kind of a thing. Or, or a son who is, is a shame to his father. And, is, and we have the, the contrast there. We want to do the full crisscross because both halves apply to both halves. Does that make sense? All right. And so, and even uh, the term... Let me make a new one here, because there's sacrifice, there's wicked, and then there's abomination. And then there's prayer, upright, and what's the third term? Uh, Delight. Here we go, delight. Right. And so again, we got crisscrosses that we want to understand with respect to this. And the contrast, there's the parallels and there's the contrast. Obviously, sacrifice and prayer are parallel. Wicked and upright are not parallel. They're contrast. Abomination and delight are not parallel. They're contrast or antithetical parallelism as it's called. Okay? And so we want to recognize how all these things work, and we want to do the complete crisscross. Then, when we do that with verse 8, we've got to do it all over again with verse 9. And then, when we do it all over again with verse 9, we get to do it a third time with verse 8 and verse 9. Does that make sense? Okay, so because with verse nine, now we have the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he who love but he loves one who pursues righteousness. And so we have sacrifice, we have prayer, now we have way and pursuit. Right? The way of the wicked, and then who the one who pursues righteousness. And then we have, uh, of course, wicked. With the righteous, the one who pursues righteousness, and then again, abomination and love, abomination and love. All right, apology, apologies for the handwriting. <laughs> okay, um, and so we're going to do the same thing here as well. We're going to see the parallelism with way and pursuit. We're going to see the antithetical parallelism or the contrast between wicked and righteous. And then obviously abomination uh, is contrasted with love. And, and so really, you know, the upright and the righteous, that's pretty obvious. A delight and love is pretty, pretty obvious. Um, that when we start doing the crisscrosses, we see how, how these things are, are linked. And if it helps to draw it out, then it helps to draw it out. And, uh, and that's the conceptual way in which Hebrew poetry will often present itself and build itself. And so uh, you don't want to just limit yourself to the first half of any statement. Go ahead and apply the, the corollary to the second half of the statement as well and, uh, and you get the full picture. You get the total picture on what the poetry is trying to say. Alright, well I hope that helps. So um, When we talk about sacrifices and we talk about um, prayers, you think, "Well, what are what are the wicked sacr? The wicked don't sacrifice anything, do they? When when do the wicked go to church? What do the wicked pray for? They don't pray. We're the ones. We go to church. We have prayer meetings. Think about it, okay? Because the course of life is being described here as a pursuit. Is being described as a religious exercise, as a priestly exercise. And uh, we, we, when we're going to describe our way of life, the Bible describes it in priestly terms. So we want to understand that for what it's saying. Believers, of course, have prayer sacrifices in the course of our way pursuit. And if we, if we have the wrong ones, if we don't have the right ones, we're going to end up with the wrong ones. And if we don't even think about what we're doing, then what do you think we accidentally fall into when we're just kind of drifting in our, in our Christian walk? Okay? Yeah, default is carnality. Default is not good. It, uh, the, the, the pursuit of the will of God is an active engagement of our, of our priesthood. An active engagement of, of doing what we're doing for the right reasons in the right way. So... Um, let 's start with the the easy one first, and then we 'll go to the more difficult one second, because the wicked are uh are also sacrificing they 're serving their father the devil, the god of this age uh, there he has plenty of worshipers okay and so uh the the course of life the 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 uh way pursued or the course of the life course uh worship is 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 uh should be a straightforward issue for us all right Alright, so believers of course have prayer sacrifices in the course of our way pursuit. And let me also, before we look at these verses, let me also say um, I will make this mistake several times this morning and let's, we want to kind of avoid it. When we're contrasting the righteous with the wicked, it's very easy to fall into a believer versus unbeliever duality. You know what I'm talking about? However, just because you're saved... <laughs> You, we, as believers, we can still fall into that wicked category, right? We can go carnal. We are born again, regenerate, we have eternal life, we're gonna to go to heaven when we die. However, when we go into carnality and we fall into sin and we start pursuing that course of darkness, then we're gonna go from subpoint A to subpoint B, <laughs> okay? We're gonna start worshiping as the wicked worship. We're going to start worshiping in the pattern of the wicked sacrifices, the wicked worship, the elementary things of this world. And so um, I should probably rephrase point A with believers in fellowship. Okay? Um, And and then contrast it with unbelievers and believers out of fellowship on the other hand. Okay? So, anyway... um, the course of our way pursuit. Let's start with uh, Psalm 51:17, and we were here last hour, uh, the men that were meeting in the, in the Sunday school classroom. This is one of the verses we were looking at in Psalm 51. "We have sacrifices." So these verses are all going to help us thinking about the course of our life. You know, do you ever just stop and think about where am I in my life? Okay. And, uh, and uh, uh, giving God the glory because by the grace of God, we are what we are. And we are in and, you know, there, but by the grace of God, there go I. I know where I would be if it wasn't for God's grace. So you stop and you just reflect and you say, wow, God is good. Okay? And you think about the course of your life, and what is it that describes your life course? Your life course. Hopefully, after this study, uh, it's going to be more on spiritual terms. It's going to be on priestly terms. It's going to be upon our status as those who love God, those that are called according to His purpose. All right? So Psalm 51, 17. Um, Psalm 51 is the confession of David after his exposure... Uh, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is, this is after nine months and more of carnality. Remember, David didn't confess his sin the night after the fornication. He didn't confess his sin the night after the murder. He hid it for nine months. It's not until the baby's born that then Nathan exposes him and then the baby dies a week later. And David has a week of, of repentance and, and prayers and, and, and uh, fasting and grieving and all of that. But he's been in darkness for nine months and longer. He was in darkness for, you know, whatever length of time leading up to the adultery and the murder. And so he is coming out of prolonged carnality when he's confessing his sins. And so in these early verses, you've got the confession that's centered on grace. Uh, wash me thoroughly, cleanse me, I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. And notice in the course of all this there are no sacrifices. There is no goat that's being killed or, or sheep. He can't go to the tabernacle. He can't go to a priest and kill an animal. There's no Levitical sacrifice for his willful sin. But there's prayer. There's a heart confession and he's voicing that here. And so um, he says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. He wants to be restored to fellowship. He wants to be cleansed. Verse 9 says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. God does that when we confess our sins. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a blessing. This is what David's doing here. He says, uh, and it's interesting when he's talking about what he's going to do moving forward. He says, "I'm going to teach transgressors your ways" in <laughs> verse thirteen, and sinners will be converted to you. He he knows he's got a ministry now. He can uh, he can minister to other sinners, maybe uh, you know that are uh, have sexual weaknesses or have uh, whatever the case may be, uh, adulterers or Uh, murderers, or whatever the case may be. And he has ministry to believers struggling with sin. And he can go to them in grace and say, look, I'm not judging you, I'm not condemning you. Uh, I'm a sinner too, and I've been forgiven, and here's, here's where I found grace. And you can have a ministry to transgressors. So verse 14, "'Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, "'the God of my salvation.'" then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. He's not going to kill himself with guilt. He knows moving forward he's going to forget what lies behind, he's going to read forward to what lies ahead. There's ministry in front of him now. And that ministry is going to praise God for being a God of grace. You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. There is no sacrifice. There's no Levitical animal that he can butcher. There's no there's no uh, offering that he can bring. There is nothing. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If you go on willfully sinning, there is no sacrifice. There's no burnt offering, guilt offering, sin offering, trespass offering. Leviticus is clear. Deuteronomy is clear. There is no Levitical offering that David could bring or any believer could bring in these circumstances. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment. Okay? The book of Hebrews get, gets us into this as well. But notice what he says next. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so this is our great provision. This is our uh, our go-to day after day as long as it's called today. Father, I'm going to come to you with a sacrifice of a broken spirit, a contrite heart. I'm repentant. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your forgiveness. Your son took my place on the cross. And when I confess my sins, he is faithful and just. Not because I've earned it, not because I've deserved it, he is faithful and just because he's already condemned it when he judged it on Jesus Christ. So the sacrifices of God. Now these are our sacrifices. These are our prayer sacrifices in the course of our way pursuit. And so here I am today. What am I doing today? You know, what are we doing today? What is your life pursuit? What is your life course? And uh, and all too often, you know, People think of their life course in terms of their career. Well, I'm career, uh, I'm retired Navy, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, whatever my life course is. I'm retired Air Force, I'm retired Army, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, and people ask, well, what did you do for a living? You know, you talk to an old man in a nursing home and uh, you spent 40 years, you know, working on the railroad or whatever he's been doing, okay? And so people will define themselves based on that. My dad sold life insurance. Okay. Uh, you know, what are we defined as? You know, is that what you want printed on your tombstone? <laughs> you know, here lies so and so uh life insurance salesman. You know, what is it we're known for when we're gone? What is your life course? How about a contrived spirit? That that'd be a good one. Because it's a primary sacrifice to the Lord. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so as far as a sweet-smelling savor that we can offer up before the throne of grace, he will accept it every single time. He will not despise. And so uh, here's our first sacrifice, a broken heart, a contrite spirit, making sure that we're humble. If we're not humble before the Lord, if we've lost our fear of the Lord, forget about anything else. It's a sacrifice. All right. We also have Hosea 6.6. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Hosea 6.6. You think, who reads Hosea? Well, Jesus sure did. And he used it several times against against the Pharisees. Told them, go learn what this means. And they wouldn't do it. And he comes back a couple chapters later and he says, well, you didn't go and learn what that meant, did you? Because if you would have learned what this means, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. And he's quoting Hosea. Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. Sounds like a good chapter. <laughs> All right. You ever been in a place where you're not intimate with the Lord, but you wanna you want to go back to that? He has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. Now, why has He done that? What discipline am I under? And what is my promise of restoration? He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day. Wow. What's the significance of the third day? That's kind of cool, (laughs) right? But think about it. Not only, of course, it's prophetic and it's looking forward to the resurrection of Christ, but think about the, the doctrine, though. What is the application with respect to my own restoration to fellowship, my own restoration to intimacy, the lingering consequences of my sin. You know, a confession of sin, I am instantaneously restored to fellowship, but I I don't have all those consequences washed away. Okay? I mean, it may be one, you know, one night of carnality and now there's pregnancy, now there's a baby, now there's 18 years of raising a kid. There's, There's consequences for one night of sin. Okay? And I do think it's interesting, though, that he does phrase it in the terms of uh, he will revive us after two days and raise us up on the third day, that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. I'm going to come through my discipline, and I'm going to know the Lord better in the process of it. He's going forth as certain as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. All right. Um, Verse 4, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. Now the chesed loyalty is what's being emphasized in this. Our blessed loving kindness, our chesed, our loyalty. And for Ephraim and for Judah, it was a vapor. It, It would barely appear and then burn away quicker than anything like a morning cloud, like dew, which goes away early. Yeah, there's a little bit to start with, but it doesn't take much heat, and it's gone. Absolutely gone. And that's the, that's the problem with, Eph, with Ephraim, the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom. And their chesed was like dew, the tiniest little heat, and it's gone. Therefore, I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. <laughs> I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And when Yahweh's prophet was preaching, the words could be very cutting, and sometimes literally so, when the prophets would chop up Agag and things like that, Uh, some of the Old Testament prophets were pretty brutal, both metaphorically and literally. And so uh, the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. And so we want to make sure that we have, again, this heart attitude. And so if in uh, Psalm 51, in verse 17, the uh, the application there was the contrite spirit, the, bro- the broken spirit and contrite heart, here, here, the application is chesed, is chesed loyalty. So add that to your list. These are our sacrifices, or better than sacrifices, all right. So that's Hosea 6 6. And like I say, a couple times you'll find this verse gets quoted in Matthew. Jesus cites this. The Pharisees were great for religious legalism. They were great for all these following the rules and doing all these externals, but their inner heart was ugly. It was it was actually horrendous. And Jesus challenged them several times go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. And they wouldn't do it. All right. Romans 12.1, what are some other sacrifices that we have? I mean, just those first two are powerful enough, are they not? Remind ourselves today that the contrite heart is a sacrifice. Remind ourselves today that loyalty is better than sacrifice. Romans 12.1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I think everything we see in Proverbs 15, 8 and 9 can be can be understood here in this one verse. We have your life way, we have your course, we have your pursuit, we have your worship. We have your prayers. We have your sacrifices. All of this is right here in verse 1. And it has to do with our daily life. What are we doing today? We woke up this morning. There's a grace, a grace gift, right? He <laughs> didn't promise us today. We woke up this morning. In fact, I woke up three times this morning. I had a terrible night of sleep. Finally at 4.30 I said, well, enough of that. I'm awake. Thank you, Lord. It's a new day. and let's Let's do this. Okay. And uh, yeah, when you're when you're showered and dressed and ready to go, and it's not even 5 a.m. yet, well, all right, there's there's work to do. That's right. It's a long day in front of you. But Romans 12:1 says, "It's it's to present myself before God as a living sacrifice. Here I am, send me. Here I am." And uh, and it's a living sacrifice because Jesus Christ gave the once and for all death. He died to sin. Now we can be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's all about the living sacrifice now as we walk in the newness of life. And so I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, everything I do in the body. That's my career, that's my marriage, that's my family, that's my... Everything I do in temporal life should have as the motivation my spiritual life. Operating in the will of God operating as a living sacrifice. This is my spiritual service of worship. Not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm living out the word of God today so that you may demonstrate the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So when you are a believer and you are living your life as an expression of the word of God, that's your worship. That is your worship, your spiritual service of worship. And we want to think of it in these terms. We have prayer sacrifices in the course of our way pursuit. Okay? our life, This is our life course worship. And so uh, let's start thinking of it in those terms. Let's start praying about it in those terms. We, we can start a day with, Father, today is a day for my Melchizedek priesthood. Today's a day and everything I do is going to be according to your word in your will the good and acceptable and perfect will of God and so what do you have for me today and operate in those terms okay and notice all of this is true regardless of whether I'm a doctor I'm a lawyer I'm a truck driver I'm a ditch digger whatever it is whatever it is if i'm if I'm a, a married man or a single man if i'm you know, a, a, a parent or not a parent. The father of one or the father of a hundred. Whatever it is, I have a priesthood before God the Father. Okay? I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all the other things with respect to temporal life, career, marriage, family, all that other earthly stuff, that all comes second. That's all added, the additive stuff, when you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Uh, Philippians four 4.8. I'm sorry, 4.18. More sacrifices. And so far we're not butchering animals. <laughs> Alright? There's no blood in any of these sacrifices. Unless we're sweating great drops of blood in our fervent prayers. And uh, this is actually with respect to some money that had been donated. It talks about uh, in verse 12, I know how to get along in humble means and know how to live in prosperity. Paul in his ministry had had some very thin seasons and he'd had some very fat seasons. He'd had uh, some times when they were very well supplied and all the bills were paid and things were great. They had other times when uh, they were not so supplied and not everything got paid and things weren't as, uh, as financially well off. Things were still fine. We we're still in the well of God and things are still great, spiritually speaking. So you learn how to do both. You learn the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. But then he tells the Philippians, you've done well with me to share with me in my affliction. And he's thanking them for their money. Oops. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. All right, boy. You write the newsletter and then you do that. That's that's terrible. All right. Where was I? In fellowship. Here we go. Um, money, and in the sharing of, uh, of funds. He says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me. And, uh, and they had a season when they couldn't. They had a season when they weren't able to, but now at last they're able to. Verse 10 says, now at last. So there was a time that they couldn't, but now at last they're able to. And uh, in verse 15 he says even in Macedonia uh, you were the only church that shared with me you yourselves also know Philippians that the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs not that I seek the gift itself but I seek for the profit which increases to your account here is where he takes it from a physical thing to a spiritual thing. He takes it from earthly money to spiritual wealth. Because they're sending him U.S. dollars. Okay? Or not <laughs> not U.S. dollars in 51 A.D. They're sending him Roman sesterii, right? Denarius. They're sending him whatever the Greek coinage is or the Roman coinage is. Um, sending him gold and silver and and a currency of the day and yet he says i'm not looking for the the money you're sending me i'm looking for the way you profit when you send me money because the profit is theirs it's more blessed to give than to receive and so when they're giving money you see how this works it's not earthly if if i give you earthly money then you're going to have an earthly profit and you're going to have more and i'm going to have less if I pull out my wallet and give you all the money out of my wallet, you're going to profit. But spiritually speaking now, they were giving Paul money and they were the ones receiving the profit. He says, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And that's in the spiritual dimension. That's in God's ledger. That's in the priestly function of grace. When believers in the priestly function of grace are supporting the ministry of the Word of God, they profit. The profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. and here's what he calls it, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing To God. So let's understand this. Here's another realm of our priesthood. Here's another realm of our sacrifices. One of our prayer sacrifices is the money we give to support the ministry of the Word of God. When we support Austin Bible Church, when we support Grace Notes, when we support missionaries, when we support the ministry of the Word of God. If it's given in grace, it is a priestly sacrifice. Okay, when it's given in grace, it can't be grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves the cheerful giver, and we know that—that's a principle from Second Corinthians. So there is a a sacrifice. We've got more sacrifices in Hebrews thirteen. Hebrews thirteen. Through him then, verse 15 and 16, through him then, through him. And this is, of course, Christ. And we have um, a, uh, a priestly context for this. Verse 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Um, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. So there's a contrast with the Levitical priesthood whereby, yeah, they could eat the food, but they weren't benefited under legalism. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. We have an altar. We have a priesthood. We eat. We stuff ourselves. All right? We feast with the Lord. So let us also, Uh, and then there's a contrast of those guys and Jesus uh, suffered outside the gate. We go to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. We identify with Jesus and what he did suffering outside the gate. So through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So here's a sacrifice. You don't have to kill a goat, don't have to kill a sheep, no blood. Nice around the carpet. Praising God. That's a sacrifice. The fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the car crash. Thank you for, because in everything give thanks. Thank you for everything. Give you the praise. Do not neglect in doing good and sharing For with such sacrifices God is pleased. So here's, uh, again, the context, the perspective for this. I want to do something good. What do I want to do? Well, what do I want to do? Okay. I I want to do something good. Well, what do I want to do? For whom? For Christ. Okay. I want to do something good for Christ. And how, in earthly terms, is that going to be reflected? Oh, okay. Well, Here's someone that's a brother of Christ. Here's someone that's a sister of Christ, okay? And so I want to, you know, take them to a doctor appointment or whatever I want to do, okay? Now, an unbeliever could drive them to a doctor's appointment. But I want to do something good for Jesus Christ. And so this but now becomes my priestly sacrifice. I'm going to offer this up as a sweet-smelling savor, I'm going to say, Father, thank you for the grace. Thank you for the the privilege of being your servant, of operating in my priesthood, and I want to do good. Okay, and it's not spelled out. It's not like uh, Leviticus where it spells out a uh, uh, with with all the nth degree of of, uh, of all the detail in that. It's very general. It's very wide open. Okay, and it's not like there's a picking order of goodness whereby, you know, this is better than this, is better than this, is better than this. It's all good. It's all good when it's done with the right motivation, when it's done by a Melchizedek believer priest for the glory of Jesus Christ. Again, not grudgingly, not under compulsion. God loves the cheerful giver. If you're doing good and grudgingly and you're hating every minute of it and uh, yeah. yeah, you might still get them to their appointment, you might still get them home but you just piled up a whole stack of wood, hay, and stubble. The Father's going to burn that to smithereens first chance He gets when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That could have been gold, silver, precious stones. That could have been eternally rewardable. And you just threw it away. All right. Am I making sense? Is this, okay, this is kind of preview because we're going to hit it again in the book of Hebrews, but we're nowhere near chapter 13 yet, so we'll get there but there's a lot to to get there doing good and sharing and what do we share sharing is our term for fellowship sharing is it might be money might be time might be tangible but it might just be the fellowship of the word of god it might be the fellowship of uh, of sharing a bible passage sharing an encouragement sharing an answer to prayer sharing, hey, let me tell you how God answered prayer. Hey, let me tell you the circumstances God put me in. Hey, let me tell you what, you know, I had a conversation with an unbeliever the other night and and uh, just, I don't even know where this verse came from, but just out of the blue he was asking me something and this verse popped into my head and I was able to to, to share this verse. I don't even, I don't remember the last time I even read that verse. But the Holy Spirit dusted off my memory and put it out there. Okay? And Sharing those experiences is fellowship. That's what sharing is. That's what fellowship is. It's not uh, chit-chat over a baseball score, okay, or whatever. Fifty years ago today when you could talk about a baseball player and a great achievement that's never been matched, probably never will again, Bob Gibson, talk about, uh, okay, we can have social life over baseball, it's not fellowship. It's not quinania. Okay. If, if an unbeliever can do it, it's not fellowship. <laughs> okay. All right. So, doing good and sharing with such sacrifices, God is pleased. All right. Verse first um, Peter, first Peter two four and five. First Peter two verses four and five. so um, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation (coughs) and so this is what we're all called to do (coughs) Excuse me. <clears throat> if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So all you need is a taste. You get a taste, and you know that's what you need. You get a taste, you know that's what you want. And uh, all you need is that first taste, and you know it. And then you, you're going to spend the rest of your life learning the Word of God. And coming to Him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men. But it is choice and precious in the sight of God. This is what we do. We're coming to Him. Now we come to Him when we're saved, but we keep coming to Him. We come to Him again and again and again every time that we're going to worship, every time we're going to a function in our priesthood. We come to Him, okay? And then through Him we come to the Father. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Now I love this. We are living stones. And you talk about a powerful metaphor because Christ is, uh, we're called here, the, uh, the living stone. Coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected by men but choice and precious in the sight of God. There's a whole realm of doctrine with respect to that. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, right? He is the stone which the builders rejected. The, the stone, uh, they rejected it, they stumbled over it, they're, they're broken, but it's the, the chief cornerstone. It's the foundation stone of our priesthood. <clears throat> so not only is he a living stone, we are living stones. Okay? And that's bizarre to me. And I I, I, I want to sit down with a geologist at some point and talk to him. maybe we can get uh Steve Austin to come back and or just talk to a geologist. Explain this to me. Maybe somebody here is smart enough to explain this to me, because you know I, I get this. I, I, are stones living? You know, when I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about animals are living and they eat and they grow, and plants are living and they grow, and I think of living, you know, but a stone. <clears throat> I don't think of a stone as a as a living thing, as, as something that eats and grows. I think of a stone as just a stone. I mean, I. I've climbed a lot of stones. I've climbed a lot of cliffs and rocks. I used to do a lot of rock climbing in my youth. Not so much these days. But um, how how does a stone live? What's a living stone versus a dead stone? So after class, uh, explain that to me. But we are living stones, okay? Because Jesus is a living stone. And uh, we also living stones. And I think, again, Take the Hebrew poetry crisscross, if he was choice and precious in the sight of God, what are we? Choice and precious in the sight of God, right? He doesn't, the, you don't, it's redundant to repeat the whole statement, but you also as living stones, choice and precious in the sight of God, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we have sacrifices. And these sacrifices are in our priesthood and connected to our position in Christ. Okay, Living stones. Not dead things. Not dead things that just sit there. But living. Growing. (coughs) That means we're interacting with every other living stone as as we grow, as they grow, as we all grow together. (coughs) All right. So we have that. Now, these are our sacrifices. What about the unbeliever? What about the wicked? What about us when we're carnal? The wicked has a prayer, has uh, prayer sacrifices as well, in the course of their way pursuit, in the course of their way pursuit. And you think, well, I don't really think about the wicked and what they do in, in priestly terms. Start. Start thinking about the wicked and what they do in priestly terms. Because it is a priesthood. It's a satanic priesthood. They are serving the God of this age. If they are serving the God of this age, if they are His acolytes, why not think of it in priestly terms? I may just have to quit. This is terrible. All right. Well. They are serving the God of this age. They are His worshipers. Remember God is spirit, He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. What is Satan? The God of this age? How is he worshipped? In... Spirit and in lies, <laughs> right? In not the Holy Spirit. Okay, it is a spiritual service of worship when the the inhabitants of this world are worshiping the God of this world, and it's not just Proverbs fifteen. Again, the uh, sacrifice of the wicked. There it is. They're sacrificing. See, some wicked people are more religious than we are. They're devout. They're moral. And they're wicked. All right, and it's an abomination of the Lord. the uh, The way of the wicked, the prayer of the wicked, the life pursuit of the wicked—all these terms—they are applied to the wicked. The sacrifice, the prayer, the way, the pursuit of the wicked is an abomination to God. No matter how religious they are. So, what are their sacrifices? And some of their sacrifices look like your sacrifices. They're just for the wrong motivation. They're, they're good things, but they're not for the glory of Jesus Christ. They're not under the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes also, they're just deeds of, deeds of wickedness. How about Proverbs 21, 27? Again, it's almost uh, word for word, the first part is anyway. The uh, sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when He brings it with evil intent? Might be the same thing you're doing, but He's doing it for the wrong reasons. He's doing it with evil intent. And so that's not a sacrifice God's going to accept. Uh, Chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs 28, verses 9 and 10. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Well, what kind of prayer life does he have if he's not listening to the Word of God to start with? Oh, you'd be surprised. Or maybe not. (laughs) All right. You can still pray even when you're carnal. You can still pray when you haven't been in Bible class for three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. But what are those prayers like? And why are you praying? Why do the wicked even pray at all? A lot of times they pray for wrong motivations so they can spend it on their pleasures. You have not because you ask not, but then it says you have not because you ask for the wrong motivations. You're asking for the wrong thing. You've got a prayer life, all right? It's a carnal prayer life. It's a selfish prayer life. Verse 10, he who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit. But the blameless will inherit good. And it's curious to me how this uh, satanic priesthood, how this carnality worship, um, <laughs> they, uh, they 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 work hard to invite people to join them. They they actually will invite more people to join them than church people invite to join them. Sometimes the anti-invitation: come join me in skipping church. They invite more people to join them in skipping church than they ever invited to join them in going to church. Genesis 4. I said this last week. The very first sacrifice we ever read about by a human is done by an unbeliever. You ever think about that? Cain brought an offering. Cain wasn't even saved. We're told in 1 John that Cain was of the evil one and he slew his brother. Of the evil one. You're of your father, the devil. It's a statement of unbelief. It's a statement of unregenerate status. Cain died and went to hell. He never did get saved. But he was religious. Why does an unbeliever go to church? Why does an unbeliever get religious? Why bring a sacrifice? You think you're going to score points? You think doing good things counts for something? And so, um, now I do believe when God um, clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins uh, in chapter 3, when he clothed them in verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. I think with that my my concept is, you've got to kind of read into the verse, but I believe that that's the first sacrifice. That's the first animal sacrifice. That's the first shedding of blood for the covering of sin. is right there. I believe He taught them the doctrine in the process of doing that. But God did that. The first sacrifice we see of, of a human being doing it is in uh, Genesis chapter 4. And it's not Adam and Eve, but they must have learned this, uh, Cain and Abel learned this somewhere. So um, it came about in the course of time, so uh, in verse 2, Abel was a keeper of flocks, Cain was a tiller of the ground. Nothing wrong with it either, right? Both valid occupations. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part brought... "...of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering." And so there's two offerings that are brought. Cain's comes first. Now it's wrong. It's, the Lord has no regard for Cain's offering. It's not brought by faith. And I think we can learn this not only in the context here of Genesis 4, we can learn it in Hebrews 11, that it was by faith that Abel brought his offering. Um, It's not the, it's not, you you say, well what's wrong with Cain's offering? He he was a farmer, he brought what was his. He brought what was his production, he brought what was his. Well, it wasn't by faith and it wasn't a blood offering. I think that's the difference. And what's the regard for? The regard is for The context of sin. And when we see it here, um, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. When you're functioning in carnality, when you're functioning out of the will of God, and you've done something for God and God doesn't accept it? Wow. Well, who does he think he is? Doesn't he know I've done this for him? How dare he treat me this way? Okay. Okay. And so the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door its desire is for you. You must master it. Tremendous amount of doctrine in that one statement right there. How are any of us going to master sin? Well step one, get saved. How about that? (laughs) And then worship God. Be like Abel, walk in faith. Walk in faith. All right. So Cain told Abel his brother. So they actually have a chance to talk about these things. To communicate with one another. And It came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. (laughs) Why was he mad at Abel? I thought he was mad at God. All right. Well, we're going to have to pick up on this next week. My voice is just gone. So, uh, Isaiah 1 talks about wicked worship. Matthew 7, Philippians 3, 2 Timothy 3. There's a lot of uh, principles there we want to understand because it applies to unbelievers, but it applies to carnal believers as well. We are worshiping when we're carnal. We're just not worshiping God. (laughs) We're worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping our belly. We're worshiping the God of this age. We're worshiping anything but God. And anything but God is idolatry. Okay? All right, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. I pray that the Word of God goes forth. I pray that your children are blessed even when the pastor is is useless, Father. When he's sick, his voice is terrible, his phone rings, everything goes wrong. But Father, Your word is alive and powerful, and I thank you for that. So uh, continue to be the God of grace that you are. I thank you in Christ's name. Amen.